0: So my name is Jean-Paul Milaga. I am the founder and CEO of SmartForce, uh, which is a tech startup. And what we do basically is market survey through apps. And we pay out people via mobile money to uh, answer questions. Welcome
1: to the Africa Tech Roundup. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And, and so we're going to start with how a finance professional with a fairly cushy, job <laughs> working for a le- for a leading, uh, you know, international bank goes from doing that to becoming a startup founder. Tell us who you worked for before you became a startup founder.
0: Well, I started my career with Lehman Brothers doing M&A and then I moved to Standard Chartered Bank, and then Renaissance Capital where I was uh, head of Francophone Africa and then my last job was with the Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi where I was head of Africa. And the Bank of Tokyo Mitsubishi being uh, the fifth largest bank in the world in terms of total assets. So, pretty big bank.
1: And here's my fascination with that particular role. Um, I grew up in Southeast Asia as a child, and Japanese culture is unique, even in terms of Far East culture and their closest relatives, in terms of like the conservative vibes you get in Japan, you know, Korea, China, perhaps. But it's so unique help me understand the headspace or the thinking the average sort of japanese financial institutional professional has about africa as a proposition as an investment destination as a uh investment target as a growth proposition give me a sense
0: of what would be typical oh boy um I was gonna say I was gonna stay silent to say to to respond you know to to you, but then we on 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 uh, on, on radio kind of I mean sort of speaking. So, on the internet, bro. On the internet, sorry, sorry. I'm so old, old school. It's cool. Radio's still here. It's all right. <laughs> no, uh, but Japan has no connection whatsoever with Africa. That's the fact. You know, it's an island that was um, isolated. They were very very close to the rest of the world uh it's only when the meiji area uh started uh, when th- that they started uh, trading with the rest of the world but even so it was very kind of at arm's length they have no history of uh of strong uh uh colonization obviously they invaded a few countries which still uh, you know resent them for that like korea and china and the um, philippines is actually where i grew up Exactly, but overall, you know, there was no influx of, of foreign population uh, living coming to to Japan and living there. So for them, forget about Africa, even even Asia. For them, it's like it's it's already alien. Talking about Africa, different color, different culture. They don't know anything. You know, even geographically, we're so distant, we're so far apart from them that they have no contact whatsoever. The only thing they know about Africa is what they know through CNN, and they will be very candid about it. They'll say, "Listen." We don't know anything about Africa. So any proposition, any deal you bring um, um, from Africa will be highly scrutinized. When I say highly scrutinized, it's going to take forever to be approved. Um, So typically what it would take is bringing them from London to South Africa to see for themselves and to discuss with the with the customers and realize that these guys are highly educated, they know what they're doing, their money is safe. But even managing to bring them from London to South Africa took a while because some of them were afraid. They wouldn't tell you, but they were like, you know, I don't want to go there. Uh, but with time, you know, I guess, you know, very often when people were asking me, you know, what do you do in, in banking, I used to say 50% of my time was education. Fifty percent of my time was explaining, selling the African story, not doing some very fancy transaction and 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 uh, business development. Just plain education, saying, you "See, this is a map of Africa. This is how it looks like. This is what we need. This is what we do. These are the key facts, et etc., cetera, etc." Cetera.
1: Oh my word! So explain how you go from that to becoming a startup founder. Uh, yeah, I don't want to presume anything, but it, it didn't exactly sound like a party what you just described.
0: Well, you know, it's you just you just you just get used to it. But it's true; it's fair to say that it was one of one of the many reasons why I decided to leave because I was just getting frustrated. I could see a lot of fantastic deals that I couldn't do because of all the constraints, all the uh, credit policy we had. And what kind
1: of deals were you into? Like, did you get to? Did you have carte blanche and on on open on bringing any kind of opportunities to the table, or do you
0: have a heart for specific things
1: that you had an eye for? What were you leaving on the table,
0: typically? Well, everything, <laughs> because typically you know you have a credit policy that tells you roughly what you can do and what you can't do. So what we, we used to do was either investment grade companies, so most of them were South African, and when I say South African, a lot of them were actually even listed in the UK. So. Fair enough, some of their assets or operations were in Africa, but the heart of the business was no longer in Africa.
1: So we're talking. I imagine like a Dimension Data or something like that.
0: uh, Not Dimension Data, uh, although they were acquired by a Japanese uh, Japanese company, but the likes of Anglo American, uh, Anglo Gold, De Beers, um, all these guys. But then, you know, to be fair, we also work with a lot of South African companies. But then again, that's because South Africa was investment grade <laughs> until recently uh, officially in recession now yeah, the economy yeah, right absolutely so that so uh, yeah i mean to be to be honest when i saw that i was thinking about my colleagues thinking god almighty i, f- I feel sorry for them because they probably have to write thousands of reports in explaining that okay you know it's in your economy but it's in recession but you know it should be fine you know don't panic uh,
1: you know you must be so glad you're far from that fire
0: Absolutely. Honestly, you know, whenever I hear some bad news coming out of South Africa, I feel for South Africa, I feel for Africa, but I also feel for my former colleagues because I know exactly that they'll get, you know, very anxious and worried phone calls from, from Tokyo, from the head office and saying, you know, what's going on there? You know, we're going to lose money. You know, what's, uh, what's your strategy to cover us? And what are you going to do? And shall we pull out? And it's like, wait, wait, just just hold on a second. Just, you know, calm down. And this is the situation. So it was a lot of explaining a lot. The
1: analogy of leaving stuff on the table. In Africa, you don't leave anything in your plate. You certainly don't leave the table till you're finished.
0: And, and, you, and you stay calm through the meal, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But uh, in, in that case, he was uh, run, run, exactly, run. I mean, to be honest, one guy, there was a senior Japanese guy who told me, listen, we are not in." because I was like pushing for, I can't remember which transaction it was, but to me, it was like a really good transaction, good return. And I said, listen, we have to do this. And he was like, listen, we are not in the business of making money. We are in the business of not losing money. So if we're going to uh, uh, lend money, it has to be uber-secured so that we don't lose any money. Forget about the returns. I'm like, okay, you know, if that's if that's a philosophy, what can I do? That is absolutely crazy.
1: And the reason this is of interest to me is as part of what's happening here at Afrobytes Tech Conference 2017, we're trying to profile, in, in addition to sort of having meaningful conversations that end up in, uh, in action, in getting business done, I think it 's so useful to get inside the psyche of the global investor right and whether they 're sitting in Tokyo, uh, heck anywhere on the continent, you know perhaps in, in the West somewhere, now more than ever, so important to to understand, like the institutional thinking, the independent thinking that goes into investment decisions from around the world. What would you say from your experience in Tokyo? do you think it's applicable to some of the institutional investment stereotypes that we've we've come to expect because really you're playing into some of my notions of what's wrong or not not adequately geared for the future institutional investment is in terms of where the world is going. How much of that experience is typical, do you think uh, of the institutional investor on a global scale?
0: Sadly, I think it's very typical sadly, I think it's it's you know it's uh, uh, you know you'll be very surprised. Uh, when you know to see that people will make a decision based on hunches, based on hearsay, based on something they've seen on TV, irrespective of the hardcore facts. Because let me tell you something: during the 2008 crisis, a lot of big companies in the world went bankrupt. How many went bankrupt in Africa? Zero. That's a fact. But they won't they won't hear it because the minute you mention Africa, it comes with all sort of stereotypes, all of all sort of. Um, uh, prejudice and it's it's very difficult to fight that. Um, and so what
1: served you best in terms of what you've gleaned in your corporate career now approaching
0: uh, a tech startup? Um, I think you know, from from the beginning, it, 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 the credibility, um, simply because the fact is that I've worked in the city for many years and uh, they will think, you know, probably in their mind, they'll be like, He's all right, you know, it's like. They won't necessarily look at what I'm doing, but from the outset, they'll be like, you know, he was educated there, he worked there, he speaks so many languages, we can talk to him. He's vetted, exactly. Which is very, and to be honest, even if I have to, go, if I am, um, it's going to be a bit controversial. But if I go beyond that, that's why you have a lot of white people. I mean, no disrespect, but who become African experts when they don't know anything about Africa. But the fact is, you know, they are Harvard educated and they went on a safari and they become, you know, a Kenyan expert. And when I go back to the Silicon Valley, people are happy to talk to them. Why? Because they can relate to them. You know, they know that, okay, he went to Harvard and if he's telling me Kenya is good, then I can consider Kenya. Whereas if you you can be Kenyan living in Kenya, you can be telling these same people that Kenya is a great place to come. They'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm not sure about that. Sure.
1: So that's quite an admission and a really big of you too, to be honest about this.
0: No, but it's true. You know, the the fact is when you look at uh, a lot of the African tech conferences, and I, I tend to go to quite a few of them, be it in London, here in Paris or wherever, you will have a, a fair, a, a pretty fair number of white people. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't want to be, sound like I'm racist, but it's just a fact. It's just a comment that it's that's how you attract investors as well. You know, if you if you go to the Silicon Valley as a, as a guy from Zim from a small town v- village in, in Zim, no matter how good your idea is, no matter how smart you are, it's going to be much more difficult than if you were, you know, educated in an Ivy League and 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 white and you know they can relate to you. It's not necessarily racism. It's just like they they can relate to you. And the same thing is applicable to Japan to Japan by the way. You know, I could tell them anything about Africa. They'd be like, yeah, okay, but, you know, you're African and you're pushing your business. Whereas a Japanese that I would take to to Africa for the first time, if he likes it, when he comes back and say, oh, yeah, I went to Africa, it's great. Then all of a sudden, it's okay. Wow.
1: Sure. So from a character perspective, what, what is this? How does this shape you as a man, as a businessman, as a startup founder? um and and how do you keep it from one making you bitter if if that's something you want to stay away from if you're like me <laughs> that's something you want to avoid but also two how do you keep it from becoming counterproductive to the pragmatism you need to have as a, as a businessman to get on with things
0: Well, there's no bitterness. You know, there's a a bit of frustration simply because sometimes you want to get things done and then it it takes forever because you have to have one guy saying that he's okay when he doesn't even know what he's talking about. uh, Yes, it can be frustrating, but to be honest, that doesn't stop me at all. I mean, I don't see it as as an issue because, you know, doing business in Africa is not easy anyway. So for me, it's just one of the many hurdles. And I actually like it in a very twisted way. You know, I'm not that I'm... you know, I, I like it in this because my thinking is, you know, if there are so many hurdles to to overcome, then it means, you know, I have to be resilient because if I give up now, somebody is not going to give up and is going to continue. Then he's he's the one who's going to be successful. So for me, it's just like the more barriers, I take it as a as barrier entry to to to, to the market I'm trying to penetrate. So I see it in, as a in a twisted way as a positive, and also on, in terms of culture. One thing I didn't necessarily say is I'm from Cameroon, but I grew up in, in Germany. Uh, I studied in France, and I live in, in the in, in the UK. So I'm used to you know the very different cultures and
1: being an outsider.
0: Oh yes, no, but well that, that's yeah, that's given. I, mean, I was I was always a black guy in the in the class, and uh, do you like basketball? that guy yeah that, that guy or you know when I started my career with Lehman Brothers I was like uh, did you he get, he get here through the affirmative action I was like I didn't even know what it was to be honest because it's such an American thing but they used to ask me that a lot and I said what is this or so they would either ask that or think I was the the, the copy boy because I was the only black guy on the trading floor on the floor so they thought you know he must be the copy boy
1: <laughs> <laughs> a guy who dies first in the movie yeah,
0: exactly. But again, you know, I, I don't mind. I, to me, it's just ignorance and it just flies over my head. I, I don't know. I don't care.
1: You know Toro Oreira says of Draper Dark Flow? He says that being underestimated is his secret weapon. It
0: uh, is actually. It is. I actually like it because, you know, the, you're the underdog. They don't expect anything from you. You're the nice black guy. You know, just like, that's all right. It works for me. So I have less pressure. I can do my thing, prepare my move, and bam, here I am. So tell me now, market research now is an opportunity. Why market research
1: and how are you leveraging, taking away that perhaps hasn't been done before, or perhaps done in this way to elicit a certain result? And I'm sure because of your financial background, you've crunched
0: the numbers. What's the opportunity here, bro? Well, the fact is there's, there's a gap, there's a lack of data in Africa. Uh, be it historic data or actual data, it's very difficult to get a clear picture of what's going on. Obviously, you have different players using different technique. And, you know, for me, I thought, wait a minute, you know, if you want to hear the voice of the customer, if you want to collect data, the best way to go about it is to ask people directly, right? Um, Now, the the, the, the second question was, how do you access these people? You know, are you going to hire interviewer and send them on the street so that they can stop people randomly and ask them questions, which is going to be intrusive and it's going to take time and you cannot really scale it. And then I thought, wait a minute, you know, we had this technological uh, uh, leap where we moved from um, 100,000 landline in Nigeria in, in 1980 to something like, uh, what's the number, I think like 60 million subscribers or something. Mobile subscribers, yeah? Yeah, sorry, mobile phone subscribers. So you have this 60 million or whatever the number is who uh, have a mobile phone, so you can ask them directly. And then the question is, but why would they bother answering? Because you incentivize them. You know, we pay them through the mobile money. Um, So you answer a question within five minutes, 10 minutes, you get money uh, on your your wallet. So that's incentive. And uh, obviously, mobile phone operators like the concept because it means you know you 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 help to make the the mobile uh, mobile money um widespread because you know ad- adopting it and people also use data to send you the the information so you know they're quite happy with that And they're
1: keeping you on the network and off those pesky ott's
0: exactly <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay until you figure out a way to do it on whatsapp
0: Shh, don't mention. Shh. Okay. okay, sorry. <laughs> don't mention it. <laughs> okay. So, okay.
1: all right. So, typically, what kind of research is possible? There must be, uh, given my limited exposure to market research as a field, uh, I've dabbled in that field, and I mean, there must be limitations to what sort of data you can extract, or,
0: or are they, or is comprehensive, or should I say, sophisticated market research possible via mobile phone? First of all, in terms of the the, 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 the questions we can we can answer. Uh, we can do alphanumeric questions. So we can ask you, you know, open or closed question. Uh, we can ask you sequential questions like, uh, you know, do you smoke? The, if the answer is yes, you get this question. If the answer is no, uh, is no you get another ans- another um, question. We can get pictures. So we can ask you, hey, you know, uh, take a picture of your favorite uh, restaurant or whatever it is. We can also take uh, geolocalization, you know, if, uh, if uh, let's say... Our customer is a is a brewery, and they want to to know where you normally have your your beer after work. Then you get the geolocalization of the of the bar you go to. Uh, so that's the kind of data they they are interested in. So we do a lot of quantitative data is not an issue. It's more qualitative data that is a bit more tricky because qualitative data requires a lot more questioning, a lot of nuances, and typically you can ask that uh, via uh, a smartphone but the problem is that people tend to be a bit lazy in terms of texting so they're not going to text forever you know like i feel like blah 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 so the questions the answers tend to be shorter um i don't know
1: but i mean given the the kind of information you're talking about pretty rich information still given the stuff that actually makes a difference in terms of insight
0: it's, it's very rich. I mean, it's very rich because you know you really hear the voice of the customer. You know, to give you a, an example, you can be the uh, a railway, the national railway company, and you ask me. You know, you want to do a satisfaction survey, right? So I'll ask all sort of questions. You know, do you, do you like uh, the, uh, the 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 customer experience? Were people helpful? Did you find all the information? Do you think that the train is clean? If it's not clean, take a picture as an evidence. Uh, where do you get a ticket so you get the gps location so you get very uh, a lot of information and by the way you also get the profile of the people responding obviously you know their gender uh, age uh, social category and where they live etc cetera, etc cetera.
1: cleaned of course uh, and of, of, of like personal detail that kind of thing
0: yeah absolutely yes uh, actually although we give the first name but not the last name but uh yeah you know it's it's kind of you know it, it remains anonymous and um so not only do you do the company that, uh, get that kind of very rich information, but also don't forget that they communicate, because the people know who they are, uh, who the, the customer the survey is for. Um, I mean that depends on the on the customer. If the customer is happy for people to know, then that's fine. We can we can we can let them know. If they don't want it, we can make it anonymous. And they get less money. No, actually, you know, it, it's it's it, it doesn't it doesn't matter.
1: People don't seem to mind sharing information in that
0: regard. Well, it's a it's a condition, you know. If you if you don't want to do the the, the if you don't want to share information, then you can't do the questionnaire. But uh, you know, talking coming back to the customers who get a lot of information on a real time basis, by the way, because they have access to an online dashboard. Um, they also communicate because you know you know that company X is paying you to answer. And they tend to communicate around that and say, you know, we're socially responsible. We want to hear your voice because you matter to us. And by the way, we are giving you money uh, for your next purchase. So This works into a CRM strategy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, social responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. Okay. So last few
1: questions. Where are you making the solution? Who's your team? Like, where's your makeup? And what's the footprint uh, of, of the business?
0: well we we work with digital i mean we have a lot of freelancers uh a bit everywhere in the world including in africa uh, we have a, a, an excellent guy in kenya um so we are sev- there are seven of us um the footprint in terms of operation is cameroon and ivory coast where we have two you know legal entities uh, in cameroon in ivory coast and we are just in the process of you know rolling out operations we've already done a few a few gigs but now we are moving to the next phase of you know being a bit more aggressive in terms of marketing and growing the business
1: mvp in the bag we're going for the big time now
0: yep yep that's it that's it
1: all right well listen um it really has been a pleasure chatting uh thank you jean paul melaga is that correct melaga oui très bien very good Jean-Paul Melaga uh, of SmartForce, and that's force with a PH, folks. Not not that silly, proper spelling, okay? So smartforce.com, check them out. Thank you so much, man, for being on the show. Thanks for having me.